Hey everyone, this podcast features a rich conversation between SLI founder Art Barter and Whitney Johnson, founder and CEO of WLJ Advisors, an innovation and disruption theorist. Please be aware this podcast was pre-recorded prior to the challenges brought about by the coronavirus. SLI will continue to bring you resources aiming to equip and encourage you as we're challenged to lead and follow in new ways. We must continue to connect with those we lead, even though we may be physically separated. The nine behaviors of a servant leader are more relevant than ever before. Take advantage of our free resources, like podcasts and weekly tips. Visit us at www.servantleadershipinstitute.com. Lead well, be well, and thank you for your support. Hi, everybody. Art Barter with the Servant Leadership Institute. Uh, we have another special guest with us today. Her name is Whitney Johnson. And, you know, she's one of the top 50 leaders in thinking in the world about how you disrupt leadership, how you innovate, and how you change yourself. And it's, it's amazing on what she does and how she does it. And she has an amazing uh, background. Um, I think you've been at Harvard, Whitney. Um, you're Marshall Goldsmith. You're involved with that as one of the top coaches. And that's a, that's a very, very respected organization. You've written a couple books. Uh, well, actually, more than a couple. And I've just enjoyed getting to know you over the last week or so. So, uh, Whitney, welcome to the SLI podcast. Thank you, Art. I'm delighted to be here. Yeah, great to have you. So, uh, you're a disruptor. Uh, yes, I am. So, so talk about, uh, let our audience know what that means to you, this disruption, and let's start with disrupting yourself. Yeah. All right. So, let's start with the term disruption because um, oftentimes <clears throat> when we hear that term, we think of, you know, the child who got sent to the principal's office when they were in school. And 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 that is a type of disruption. And I think I, I, I'm always I'm always amazed at how many of us actually did get sent to the principal's office when we were in right. school. There yep. are a lot of, you know, many of us are disruptors at heart. Um, the way I'm thinking about it, it's a term of art. It was developed by Clay Christensen at Harvard Business School. He recently passed away. And um, it's at its simplest, a silly little thing that takes over the world. Mm -hmm. Like the telephone did to the telegraph, like the right. automobile did to the horse and buggy. And more recently, we've seen um, Toyota disrupt General Motors, Netflix disrupt Blockbuster, we have Uber and Lyft now disrupting cabs. So that's what disruptive innovation is, is a silly little thing that, that takes over the world. Now, personal disruption, and this is what I study, my area of expertise, is how you take all of these ideas and make them meaningful to you. So you start at the bottom of a ladder, you climb to the top, and then you jump to the bottom of a new ladder like the children's game, Shoots and Ladders. And if you think about it, all of you who are listening, you've actually already disrupted yourself a lot. So high school, college, first job, 
second job, first business, second business, whatever it is, you started at the bottom, you climbed to the top, and then you jumped to the bottom of a new ladder. So it's, it's a cycle where you learn, you leap, and you repeat. So that's what personal disruption is. Well, I love that. Learn, leap, and what was the last one? And repeat. And repeat. Learn, leap, and repeat. I love the leap and the repeat. Take me through, take us through those three steps and what they mean to you. Yeah. I like how you asked that question, what they mean to you. That makes it more personal. So that's, that's really nice. So, all right. So we've got this idea of personal disruption. And then there's something... So, so first big aha that I had when working with Clayton was that the theory of disruption wasn't just about products, it was about people. Then I had another aha, and that came as we were investing. So we were using the S-curve. It was popularized by E.M. Rogers in 1962. It looks kind of like a wave. And basically what happens is at the bottom of that S, growth is very slow until a tipping point is reached or you hit the knee of that curve and then you move into hyper growth and then it's saturation growth tapers off. And that's how you use it to think about investing or to think about any sort of product diffusing into the marketplace. So the second big aha for me was that this S curve could also help us understand how we learn, how we grow. Mm -hmm. Whenever you start something new, you're at the bottom of that S. So you know that growth is going to be slow. Mathematically, growth will be, or at least it will appear to be slow. So it's going to feel like a slog. Um, you might get kind of discouraged because you're like, I'm not learning as fast as I want to learn. But when you know that, then it, it makes it easier to just manage the bottom of that S. So you're starting to learn. Then you move into the sweet spot of that S where unlike at the low end where it felt like nothing was happening, now in a little time, a lot happens and you feel like like, you know, enough, but not too much. It's hard, but not too hard. It's easy, but not too easy. This is the sweet spot. You're exhilarated. All of your neurons are firing. And then you get to the top of that curve where you start to master things and things are easy peasy, mm -hmm. but you're no longer enjoying the feel good effects that come with learning those dopamine hits that you get. Yep. Uh -huh. And so that that plateau, what looks like a plateau can quickly become a precipice. And so you've learned and now it's time for you to leap to the bottom of a new S. Right. So you learn, you leap, and you repeat. Do you ever ever get to a point where you don't take that next leap? Do people reach a ceiling in that they process? Do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They do. They do. Yeah. I mean, we see it. We see it all the time. I think we see it um, first of all in. Uh, in jobs, right? They get a person has been in a role for three or four years. They get to the top of that S curve. They'll say things like, I've paid my dues. Mm -hmm, That's right. what a top of the S curve looks like. Yeah, gotcha. Why they're in a role or in your career. I've paid my dues. I don't need to do the work. And that is when you get very vulnerable to being disrupted um, or, or pushed off the S if you will, because you can get disrupted by up and comer people inside of the organization, but you can also precipitate your own demise by getting fired. And in fact, I have a hypothesis that when people lose their jobs, it's because they were at the top of an S curve or they were on the wrong S curve. They knew that they should jump. They knew they should leap and they wouldn't do it. So the universe gives them a nudge. You know, that's that's real interesting because, you know, we teach um, servant leadership, culture and implementing. Yeah. And we find the same thing. You, you get to a certain point 
in the early days of implementing servant leadership, you're learning, you're growing, you've got this high going on and you love coming to work. And when you level that off and you've gotten to where you want to be, now we see leaders maturing and they need yep. to continue that. And right. I've never thought about the S-curve to where you jump off the cliff and, and start that S-curve all over again. I think that's real, real important for our listeners to understand. Um, and what's really fun about it for you, Art, especially is because you're the Servant Leader um, Institute, Servant Leadership Institute, you can, you know, you start with that S, you can just like build in that S to this idea of once you get to the top of that S, then it's time for you to jump to the bottom of a new S and serve someone else or serve someone in a different way. So I want to ask a couple of questions on the S curve. Um, what do individuals face while they're going through this S-curve process. Okay, so um, when you're at the base of that S, um, as I mentioned, the growth is going to feel really slow. It's not that it's not happening, because if you think about exponential growth, it is happening. It's just it's just like the lily pads on a pond. You don't notice them yet because there aren't enough. There's not critical mass. So the experience that you're having on the launch point is there are it's like this jumble of puzzle pieces. You don't quite know how they fit together. You're, you know, the who, what, how, it just doesn't quite make sense to you. And there are usually days where you think, I thought it was a good idea to take on this role or to take on this project, but now I am seriously doubting mm -hmm. if this was a good idea. So you feel potentially discouraged or overwhelmed. Some people are like, they love it and they think I can figure this out. But in general, there's a lot of discomfort, potentially anxiety because we're used to doing things well and now we're not doing things well. So that's the experience that you're having on the launch point of the S curve. Um, then in the sweet spot, the experience that you're having is, wow, this is really fun because you've now put in some effort and there's, you know, enough that you don't feel overwhelmed and discouraged. So, um, but you also don't know so much that you're bored. So there's this nice equilibrium between what you know and what you don't know. And so your brain is enjoying it. You're learning really quickly. Your brain is in hyper growth. Neurons are firing, like I said. So this is a period of exhilaration. It's a sweet spot. And for us as individuals, I would say at the launch point of the S-curve, you ask lots of questions like, why do we do it like this? Which is actually very valuable in an organization. In the sweet spot, you're still capable of asking, why don't we, why do we do it like this? But you're also capable of starting to answer those questions. What could we do differently? Because you've got enough expertise to be able to contribute. And then the experience of the person at the high end of the S curve, on the one hand, you think, you know what, this has been a great place, a great role, a great project that I've been working on, and I've really enjoyed it. But I'm starting to just feel like everything I've seen, I've already seen before. I'm starting to feel a little bit bored. I'm starting to feel like I'm dialing it in a little bit. Everybody's asking me the questions now. And I know I need to be a stabilizing force for everybody else who's coming along the curve. But I, I think there's something more for me. I think I need to do something else. So launch point is characterized by being overwhelmed. Sweet spot is characterized by being exhilarated. And high end tends to be characterized by some boredom. Gotcha. And, and it would seem to me that the collaboration within a team is at the highest point when you're in that sweet spot. Yes. Okay. Um, now, let me ask you the question. You've started 
with this S curve and you're working with your team, one of your books is uh, the six takeaways um, to building an A team. Yep. And so let's say I have 20 managers that I'm, I'm leading and I help them understand the S curve and what they're going through. Do you find people going through that process at different rates? Yes, absolutely. You mean going through the S curve at different rates? At different rates, right. Yeah, yep. yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that um, we use as a benchmark is this idea of the 10,000 hour rule. So as, a, as a, a benchmark, you can say to yourself, okay, well, if I'm working 40 hours a week on average, then I'm gonna be on the launch point of an S curve on average for six months. And then I'm gonna be in the sweet spot on average for two to three years. And then at the high end of that S curve for six months on average. Um, but depending on what level of domain expertise you had walking into that role, you might move up that curve really quickly, depending on how complicated that role is. So for example, learning how to um, be a cashier in a fast food restaurant, that S curve is gonna be very different than learning to be a neuroscientist. Right, right, yep, yep. So you're going to move along those curves um, at very different rates, depending on not only where you started, because sometimes we hire people into the sweet spot or at the high end, but also the nature of the, the, the work that you need to do, as well as your own aptitude, as well as your willingness to put in the work. Right. Now, it, the, out of the 20 managers that I may be leading, um, what's your percentage that you usually see people that get through that whole cycle? Oh, that is a great question. And you know what? No one has ever asked me that before. Oh, is that right? I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so let's let's talk about it for a second. So one of the things that we are starting to see is that you you optimize for innovation in terms of an, a, a team that's capable of, of moving the organization forward by having 15% of your people on the launch point of the curve because they're asking those questions like, why are we doing it like this, which is very valuable. 70% in the sweet spot. So like you said, that's where we're going to get most of the good work done. Mm -hmm. And then you need 15% at the high end that can act as a stabilizing force and, and sort of the, well, here's why we don't do it like this. They're the, they've got the tribal knowledge, but still opening the door for people to do things. Now, to go to your question of what percentage of people move through the curve, it depends. And part of the reason it depends. So I've had one organization that I've done some work with where you would think that organizations tend to have people stall out at the top of the curve and they've got all sorts of challenges because people get to the top and there's nothing new for them to do. Mm -hmm. And that is tends to be, I'd say the challenge for most people when I'm talking to them, they're like, I'm at the top of my curve. What do I do? My manager wants me to stay there. That's the big challenge. But I've seen it be different in a couple of different situations. One is an organization. It's actually a Fortune 100 company where as soon as people get into the sweet spot of the curve, they say to themselves or have historically, they're really capable. Let's have them do something new. Mm -hmm. And the challenge with that is that if they barely get into competence and you have them jump to do something new, they don't complete the cycle. Right. And so their, their development gets arrested. Ah, so and so that is... No, go, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. And so the other place, and sometimes I see that not from an organizational standpoint. And again, this is an unusual challenge that this organization is trying to figure out what to do with it because because you need people to kind of complete that cycle in order to 
to continue to grow and develop. I also have seen this happen in markets where um, talent is in a lot of demand, mm-hmm. um, particularly, you know, places, hotbeds of where technology um, software developers are in a lot of demand. What will happen is they'll start to move along an S curve. They'll gain some competence and then you'll start to have people trying to hire them away. Mm-hmm, right. And so they will say, oh, I'm going to go do this new job. I'll get more money. I'll get a better title, et cetera. And that you can do that. But the risk or the pitfall to that is if you do that enough times, every time you get into the sweet spot, you jump, you're arresting your development. So you are at risk over time. And this is where I think the Peter principle can potentially come mm-hmm, in, mm-hmm. is getting to the top, getting into a role that you kept jumping into, but you actually never developed the competency that allows you to fully have that title, to fully have the responsibilities that you have. Yeah, I love that because I, I think yeah. in the U.S., um, and we're getting away from this these days, but in the past, we would just promote people up until they failed. Yes. Right? And, and it sounds like we were pushing people through that S-curve too fast. Yep. And they weren't um, able to complete that competency in order right. to move to the next level and jump off. Right. Yeah. And, and what we can do in that instance is is when you're able. So what I love about this S curve, and of course I love it. But right. one of the we, things that we you, couldn't tell, Whitney. You couldn't tell. <laughs> no. Uh-uh. I mean, what it does is it gives a leader a language to talk about their growth. It also gives them a tool to develop the people around them. So you can say to them, Here's where I think you are on the S curve. You tell me where you think you are, and then you can have a conversation. And and by the way, if if you'll stay on this S curve for the appropriate amount of time, maybe it's a year, maybe it's three years, I and this is where it comes in the servant leadership piece for you. Mm-hmm. I will help you. I will facilitate your jump to a new S curve. Right, right. We we as leaders have to create that safe environment where right. people feel safe about jumping off and beginning that S curve all over again. Right. Yeah. Right. And right. Now, one thing I want to add, I think is important is is this idea of promoting for potential. One of the pieces of research that has come out is that we tend to promote men on potential more than women. Yeah. We tend to look at women for track record. So what that means is that you're more likely to have men that you have overpromoted than you are women. And so it's just something for us to be aware of as we're trying to think through the development of the people, those those, those 20, was it 20 or 30 managers? 20. I, 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 yeah, yeah, my example is 20. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 20, 20 people on your team. Yeah. You know, I, I love that because we, we try and get leaders to understand that everybody's going through that S curve, or we say culture change, at yep. different speeds. And right. some may not make it. Some may hit a level to where their past experiences, their old files, won't allow them to go forward mm-hmm. in the work environment because it's not a safe for them to go there. Yep. Um, and you mentioned, uh, I think it was a scientist, or an, I, I heard engineers, and engineers yes. are, are especially challenging in culture change because you have to give them permission to change because that's how uh-huh. they do their job, right? Right. They right. design products and then they go to market and then they have to give them permission to change that design before they can go to the next level. And 
we've even had some clients ask us, do you have an engineering change form for leadership? Where you actually give the individual the okay to move forward, yep. right? Yep. So um, that's, that's pretty fascinating. Uh, so people may not make it to the next level of jump off mm -hmm. uh, the curve. What would your recommendation be on how long should we stick with those people uh, who have found their limit? Yeah. So, so let me just make sure I'm understanding the question. So are, are you talking about a situation where we've had someone jump to a new S curve, they're in a new role and we're trying to figure out right role, wrong role. Is that the question you're asking? Yeah. I, I, I would focus on the first S curve. Let's okay. say you're going into a company that's been around for a while and yep. you want to change the culture. That's, that's a tougher one than starting from scratch and putting in your mm -hmm. culture, but going in and changing the culture. Um, and you're in that first S curve and you're asking individuals to go through that and you're trying to take the team through that. What answer from that perspective? How do you know, when it's, yeah. do you know when it's not the right S curve for right. that person? Right. Okay. So, so one of the things, um, so here's a, a little hack that you can use to, to figure out, um, if it's the right curve or the wrong curve. And by the way, they know this. So this goes back to this idea of people losing their jobs. Almost always people intuitively know if it's the right curve or the wrong curve. So um, <clears throat> here are four questions that you can ask yourself and, and ask them to ask too. And this goes to part of what we've got in the book, Disrupt Yourself, is number one, and this goes to accelerant number one of personal disruption, is this person playing where no one else is playing? And what do I mean when I say that? Um, are they... Are they doing a job that, first of all, needs to be done? And number two, are they doing a job that no one else in the organization is always doing? So we talk a lot about in industry this idea of taking on market versus competitive risk. Competitive risk is, you know, you know that there's a market, lots of competition, but you're pretty sure you can win. And market risk is you don't know if there's a market. Sometimes people are not succeeding in a role because you've hired them to do a job that someone else in the organization is actually already doing because jobs morph over time because you have needs that morph. And so now you have put that new person in direct competition with someone who's effectively an incumbent in the organization. Right. Mm -hmm. The first question you want to ask yourself is, are they playing where no one else is playing? Second question you want to ask them and you is, are they playing to their, not only their strengths, but their distinctive strengths? So they've got strengths that no one else has. And, and this is actually more challenging than one would expect because we think, well, of course they're playing to their strengths. The reason it's a challenge is that we do not tend to value what we do best. It's so easy for us. It's so reflexive for us. We sometimes barely even put it on our resume because it's easy. How could it possibly be valuable? We tend to put on our resume the things that we worked hard to learn how to do, not the things that are easy. Mm -hmm. So now you have a person, you've just hired them. They say, yes, I'm really good at X, Y, Z, and they probably are good at it, but they're great at something else that you didn't hire them to do. So are they playing where no one else is playing? Are they playing to their distinctive strengths? Third question you want to ask is um, for them and you, is it hard but not debilitating? What do I mean by that? 
So they get to the work and they go, this is a big challenge, but I really feel alive. Or is it, this is a big challenge and I'm shutting down. I might even be getting sick. Right. That's another sign. And then the fourth question is you want to ask yourself is, are they gaining momentum? Mm -hmm. So, so, you know, is their momentum actually taking place? And you've got to figure out, and that's part of what you want to do with people who are brand new is give them tightly scoped assignments and give them lots of information, meaning feedback about what is working and what isn't. Because if they're, if they're bumping up against that feedback and they're taking to it, chances are that momentum is going to kick in. If they take the feedback and the momentum isn't kicking in, maybe it's a matter of not playing to their strengths not in the right role. And so you can move them to another role. So that that question of feedback ends up becoming very important um, in terms of making a decision. Do I just move them elsewhere or do I move them elsewhere outside of the organization? Right, exactly, exactly. Playing where no one else is playing, playing to your strengths. Is it hard but not debilitating? And are they gaining momentum? Those are four questions that you can ask yourself, right curve or wrong curve. Yeah, and you know, we have to let people understand that it doesn't make them a bad person. No. Right? It's just they may not be a fit for our culture, our company, but it doesn't make them a bad person. No, um, it doesn't. Right, um, right. That is a big challenge. It is a big challenge because most of the time, um, and I was one of these leaders once where, hey, if you've got to lay somebody off um, and it's performance-based or maybe in California it's, you know, we don't have that. We just have a, uh, a law that lets us go our different ways. Uh-huh. If we're not working well together, um, and it's our job as leaders to help find them a culture environment that will help them grow, or yeah. where they'll be happy, right? Because there isn't this high expectation of getting to the S curve and then jumping off, um, right? Right. And it is. It's very difficult to realize that our relationship doesn't end with the employment contract. Yep. If we really right. want to help people, exactly. right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, and I, you know, I was just thinking just this last week, I was talking to one of my coaching clients who had a person on their team um, and uh, decided that th- they needed to promote someone over them and was really concerned about having the conversation. But he went into the conversation, number one, prepared. Number two, he had a relationship with that person where that person knew he cared about them. And number three, this person was a coachable person. And he said the conversation went really well. Mm -hmm. Uh, You hit on something very important. You have to get prepared for it. Yes. Right. And and you have to ask yourself, okay, here's here's what what I want to talk about. But then you also have have to be prepared on what responses you may get, positive and negative. And mm-hmm. if you think through those ahead of time, yeah, the, the conversation is going to be a whole lot better right. uh, with people. So I want to go back to the escrow. I have one more question on that before we yeah. uh, get into building an A-team. And, and the question is, is there a lot of generational friction when a team goes through the S-curve process? It's a great question. Um, what I would say, I, I think there's generational friction in the sense that what I see is people who are Xers and to a greater degree boomers, there's a sense of there were some things that I had to do in order to move along the S curve. Mm-hmm. And so um, of my career or even in a role, there are certain you know, sort of rites of passage that I had to go through. 
And um, and then what what will sometimes happen is that then then they will have a millennial um, and now even Gen Z who will say, hey, I've been in this role for, you know, a year and I'm ready to jump to a new S curve. Now, Mm -hmm. sometimes that's an arrested development problem. Sometimes they actually are ready. Right. They're ready. But so so you've got sometimes you've got entitlement on the millennial or Gen Z side, but sometimes you've got entitlement on the X or a boomer side who says, no, like you have to stay in that role longer because I had to stay in that role longer. But if we really understand that technology is evolving faster then the ability to learn if you've done it well is going to be higher for someone who's younger than you are, too. Right. Right. And you're going to say, you know what? You're capable of doing the work. I'm willing to let you jump to a new S curve. And so there's this question of there there is friction, but that friction comes because of entitlement on both sides, depending on the situation. It does. And you know, I I, I went through uh, this S curve a little bit last week. I have a group of CEOs I meet with, and we met in one of the younger CEOs uh, company in their uh-huh. in their conference room, and they had just moved into a new office, and you know. People, I'm 65, people from my age, you know, that was back office. Then we moved to cubicles. Yeah. And, and we walked in the office and there was no cubicles. There look, they had some booths that looked like uh, you should be in a restaurant. Yep. Uh, they had some quiet booths that looked like telephone booths. Uh-huh. And everybody was working at the same desk that went up and down. And they were lined up side by side and people were had headsets for quiet time, or if they need quiet time, they go to one of the telephone booths and close the door and work on their, their laptop. The, the only rooms, per se, with doors had two monitors that allowed them to collaborate and work together and put two different screens on top because they were a software-driven, service-driven company. Um, yep. Not face-to-face, but you know, over, over the internet. And, and I thought to myself, we're getting ready, we're looking at buildings, we may move. And I thought to myself, I need to preparing the, prepare the environment for the next generation, not for mine, because I'm not gonna be around. Yep. And so, so we developed a building for 10 years, uh, for a 10 year period, I need to be putting that environment in for that generation. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd probably be in, in that realm, I've been stuck in the S curve. Because hey, you got to come to the office. You know, I don't care about technology. People can work anywhere they can today because of the technology. Yeah. And it's tough for us boomers to understand that you don't have to come to the office. You don't have to wear a suit or tie anymore. You don't have to do it. That was our S curve. Now we have to yep. think about the younger generation S curve. Right. Fascinating. Right. And it- yeah, it is fascinating. And even seeing you with those headphones on, it just it evoked this idea of when you've got people sitting next to each other who all can go quiet by just putting on headphones, they don't need they don't need a cubicle because they've built in their quiet or they've built in their way of working. Right, exactly, exactly. Oh, that's fascinating. Uh, I, I love that. So your office is going to look very different than it might have otherwise because you're jumping to a new S curve. It, it, it will, I'm, I'm taking that leap, 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 excuse me. I'm uh-huh. jumping off that curve. Yep. Um, and I think I'm ready for it, I think, all right? And I may 
find that I have my challenges in there and I have a few people that are in the 40, 50, 60 range, they're going to have a a little bit of tough time for it. So I have to think about them on how do I get them to accept that environment. Right. right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. um, Yeah. Interesting. This is, I I mean, I could talk about this for hours because it's fascinating to me um, because we work with culture change and you know, we've got nine behaviors and they all fit on this S curve Yeah. because what we try and tell people is servant leadership is a lifelong challenge. It, you don't stop. You don't get to the top of the S curve and say, I've made it, um, check off the box and I don't have to do anymore. Uh, yeah. And I, I think especially with leadership, you know, it's interesting. If you think about like, you can get to the top of an S curve from a domain expertise perspective and then you've got to jump to a new s curve and you i think you can also get to the top of an s curve in a role and then you've got a you know or or a project but as a leader as a leader i think that what you're shooting for is that you never get to the top like you're always in the sweet spot you're constantly saying okay i think i might know enough about this what do i need to do to push myself back in but if you're really leading well you're going to find ways to always keep yourself in the sweet spot of that S curve. Yeah. You know what I was thinking about while you said that is, is some of the leaders get to that high end of the S curve and they don't go any farther because Mm -hmm. they can't really see the future because they go back and say, man, in, in my day, we used to do it this way and it really worked. So we regress back down the S curve, right? Instead of looking to the future. Interesting. Interesting. Right. Uh, and, and, and just just to call that out, anytime anybody ever says that to you, that's how we used to do it. Mm-hmm. That is a signal to you of a top of the S curve mentality. Exactly. Exactly. They're not willing to take that leap mm-hmm. to the next level. Yeah. All right. Well, if my team's listening to this podcast today, they've heard me say that. I, I wish I could go back to the times that were uh, <laughs> where things worked. And I think that's my comfort zone. All right. I want to go back to the sweet spot. Uh, which may not work for today's today's environment. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so let's move over to, you have a book called The Six Key Steps to Building an A-Team. Yeah. And could you could we go through the steps and just kind of give us a little um, teaser on each one? I don't want you to reveal what's in the book because we want people to go, you know, yeah. pick up the yeah, book so and really we'll, study. So I'll, I'll just talk about the ideas at a really high level. So we, we've talked about this idea of, of an S curve and how every organization needs people who know how to disrupt themselves, who know how to learn, leap and repeat, because that's how you, you're able to continue to grow and innovate. And so what we've done in um, the book, Build an A-Team is said, okay, um, first of all, you structure a team that can innovate by having 70% of your people in the sweet spot of that S curve, 15% of your people at the launch point of that curve, and 15% of your people at the high end of the S curve. And what we do in the book is we talk about, okay, so how do you, as a leader, so Disrupt Yourself is about you, build an A team is how do you structure that team, mm-hmm. and how do you help people build momentum along the curve, depending on where they are. So, for example, you asked me about, well, what's the experience an individual's having at the launch point of that curve? Well, they're feeling potentially overwhelmed, struggling a little bit. What do they need from a leader? They need support. 
they, that support is going to come in the form of those tightly scoped assignments, a willingness to give lots of feedback. Here's what's working. Here's what isn't working because that's going to help them get better faster. And they also need you to encourage them to say, I saw that you did that. Good job. Lots of information about what is working and what isn't working. And then the fourth thing that they need from you and the probably the best way to show support um, without it feeling condescending is to say to them, what are you seeing? When you say to me, why do we do it like this? I don't shut you down. Mm-hmm. I actually listen to you. And for everybody who's listening, who thinks, oh yeah, I'm really good at that. You're probably not as good at it as you think you are. Let me give you a quick story around that. Probably about six months ago, we were in this meeting with my team and we had a person on the team, brand new launch point of the S-curve. We're so glad you're here. You have so much to contribute. This is going to be awesome. About 20 minutes in, this person says to us, hey, why don't you do blah, 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 blah. Myself and the two other senior people said, oh, that won't work. And then we went on. Uh-huh. <laughs> Rest of the day, this person did not contribute. I'm like, why aren't they contributing? Because like, they're really smart. They have things to offer. In a moment of self-awareness, you know, awareness, uh-huh. I said to them, hey, why didn't you contribute? I said, because when I made a comment, you shut me down and shut me up. It's like, whoa, you're right. There's a huge asymmetry of power with people on the launch point versus at the high end of the curve. And I'm not just talking about brand new employees. I mean, there's an asymmetry of power regardless if you've got people on the launch and high end. And so we need to be aware of that. So what we did is we apologized. And then that day, that person was basically activated, if you will. And there, it, it is not overstating it to say that they made very significant contributions. So that is the launch point of the curve. Support comes in the form of lots of feedback, tightly scoped assignments, words of encouragement, and listening to the why don't you do it like this questions. That, that's fascinating. I have a listening story. Uh, when we were in the launch phase of moving our culture to servant leadership, yep. we decided to do a 360 within the leadership team, including me. Uh-huh. And uh, I got the results one Friday night, opened it up, and the results told me that I was the lowest rated in listening. And I went, this is wrong. They didn't understand the questions. I wasted all this money on the survey. I got to do it all over again, right? And I I tell people, don't ever open your results on a Friday night because then you got all weekend to stew on it. So I went went home and my wife, Lori, um, I told her, uh, she could see that I wasn't very happy and she asked me what's going on. And I said, well, I opened my survey results. And she said, what did you learn? And I said, well, I learned I wasn't a great listener. And she didn't even look up from the counter, Whitney, and said, tell me something I don't already know. Wow. And so, you know, preparing preparing yourself for that type of response um, as a leader really, really helps you get into that sweet spot if you use it the right way, right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. All right. So I'll go through the the sweet spot quickly and then the high end. So um, when you get people into the sweet spot, because they they are very capable um, and they can take on a lot, 
what they need at that point is focus. And I, when I say focus, I mean it in two different ways. Number one is they need you as their leader to help them focus, meaning you're going to be like, well, we'll just have this person do it and they'll do that and they'll do this and they'll do that. And you just start throwing stuff at them because they're super capable. So they need you to help them focus by like, you need to prioritize and they can also actually a great opportunity is to say to them, I've just given you 10 things to do. Can you tell me which ones you think are actually the most important for mm. us as an organization? So now you've not only helped them focus, you've helped them think strategically, which helps you focus. So there's this positive feedback loop. The second thing um, that our people in the sweet spot need, and when I say focus, is they need you as the leader to pay attention to them, to focus on them. Um, they're not a problem child. So you've got problem children at the launch point because you've got to sort of encourage them. And you've got problem children at the high end because you they're either underperforming because they're bored or you're afraid they're going to leave. Right. And in the sweet spot, you think, oh, well, they're doing great. I'll just leave them be. But that's the people who become the biggest risk because they feel like you don't care about them. They're that middle child mm -hmm. that feels ignored. And so in the sweet spot, what they need is they need focus in terms of helping them prioritize and they need focus in terms of you paying attention to them. And then at the high end of the curve, what they need is challenge. So there's this notion of, well, they know how to do this job, so I'm just, I'm really going to leave them be. But as I said, they're at risk either to get really bored and really complacent or really bored and really leave. And so they need a challenge that can come in the form of things like, um, uh, having them learn how to become a better leader because you can always learn how to become a better leader. You can give them things like um, stretch assignments that push them back down into the, to the middle of the S curve. They don't necessarily need to change roles, although they could, but you give them new projects, new configurations, new ways that stretch them. Um, you know, opportunities to go speak about what you do, you know, ways that you stretch them in, in, in ways that they haven't before. And so um, the people at the top of that S curve, they need challenge. And the challenge sometimes means pushing them back and out, down in the sweet spot. And the challenge sometimes means you let them jump to a new curve. Or in some cases, you push them onto a new curve because right. they don't actually want to jump. Exactly. Exactly. And you have to do that pushing with a little bit with love. With love, yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's exactly. Not a, it's so not. A, I was just gonna say it's not a push out; it's a push up. Push up, yeah. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. yeah. So I was just gonna recap: support, um, focus, and challenge at the high end. So one of the things you talk about when when leaders are at the managing a group, and the group that's at the high end of the S curve. Yeah. Um, you talked about three things that they can do at that level. Mm -hmm. um, be a pace setter, be a trainer, be a mentor. Yep. Uh, okay. Talk a little bit about those three and how, how important it is for you to add that type of value to people at the, at the high end of the S-curve. Yeah. Okay. So, so it's an interesting thing. Um, when you've got people at the top of the S-curve, there, it, it's like a phase transition from a, in a chemistry experiment, experiment where it's, it's kind of a volatile period. And so you know that something's going to have to shit, either going to have to move back down into the sweet spot or they're going to have to jump to a new S curve. But in that interim, in that period where they are at the top of that S curve, 
there are a number of things that you can ask them to do that effectively act as a stabilizing force for the rest of the organization. So number one, as you said, is a pace setter. This goes back to the, I've paid my dues. Uh-uh. Right. You're at the top of that S curve. What that means is you are going faster or more effectively than everybody else. I am counting on you like a pace car in the Indy 500. I am counting on you to set the pace. I can't have you saying, well, I don't have to work as hard. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing that they can do. The second thing is to train people. Um, to basically say, okay, I've got all this knowledge and I'm about to jump to a new S-curve and we don't know exactly what that's going to look like. But if I jump to this new S-curve and I haven't trained anybody in what I know, then there is this tribal knowledge that is going to get lost. And so you play a really important role in helping train people. Now, some people will say, well, I don't want to train people because they might take my job. Well, if that's what you're worried about, that's actually a very different challenge that you've got to deal with. But if you believe that you're valuable, if you believe that there's going to be another opportunity for you, of course you're going to train people who are coming along the curve. Right. You might not be a great trainer, so you'll have to learn how to do that. That's that's a skill set in and of itself. Um, but that's the second thing. And then the third thing, which is somewhat similar to it, is this notion of mentoring people, of, of mentoring not only in the sense of teaching them the domain skills that they need, but also mentoring and supporting and encouraging and i would even argue facilitating their growth and development along that s curve both from a um from an expertise standpoint but also from a leadership perspective so in that period in that period before you either go back down or jump to a new s curve those are the things you can do you set the pace you train others and you mentor people yeah that's great that's great um I had a comment. You said passing on information. Um, you know, leaders, when they get to my age, the most important thing we can do is pass on the knowledge we have. Right. And in corporations, a lot of people don't, you, you mentioned, don't feel safe because somebody's going to take their job or the company's going to let them go. Right. Because they transferred the knowledge. And right. we see a lot of companies struggle with that because the older generation doesn't have trust in management because of their experience. Right. Yet they have a younger generation that wants that information and they'll leave if they don't get it. Mm -hmm. Right. And mm -hmm. it, it can, yeah. kind of the bookend. So um, last question, we're going to wrap up with this. Um, managing people as a series of S curves requires a disruptive mindset. Yeah. Now let's wrap up with, tell us about what you mean with about the disruptive mindset on the leader's yeah. part. Well, and this really goes to the heart of the work that you and I both do is that because we are coming off of the industrial era, the Henry Ford, people as automatons, people as part of the assembly line, a cog in a wheel, whether, and I think just human nature generally, whether we realize it or not, we all the time see the people that we work with as um, as a cog in the wheel, as a resource not to be developed, but just to be fully ready to go um, as a means to an end, not the end in and of itself. And so what I mean when I say disruptive mindset and for anybody who's listening, and I turn this on myself as well, 
when you look at what you need to get done today, I can almost guarantee you that most of what you need to get done is around tasks that you need to accomplish, not around people on your team that you need to talk to, see how they're doing and what can you do to support them in whatever it is that they are trying to get along, get done along their curve. And so the disruptive mindset is you take a step back from how you're doing things currently, from how you're viewing the world currently to slingshot forward um, by taking that time to see people as people, not as objects. It shouldn't be, but it is that it's disruptive. Yeah, and, and it is because it's difficult for us to sit back and reflect, uh, get away from our task list because that's, that's how we're driven, especially uh-huh. I call them you know, data freaks that you know, we have to focus on data, right. uh, not on people. Um, and it's hard for us to think about how do I work in people into my busy day? And we like to get leaders to think about how can you not have time right. to spend time with your people because right. they're more important than your task list. Um, yeah. Yeah, we try and, and help leaders under, understand and ask this question, what, what's the best thing I can do for my team today? And that take is it, a great question. Take it out of the out of task list in, into a more team environment. So, uh, Whitney, you have any final thoughts you want to leave for our listeners um, today? I think the last thing that I would say is um, when you're thinking about this notion of disruption and this idea of learning and leaping and repeating, um, this is not about oh no, if I help my high performers, and I would argue that if you're on the right S-curve, everyone will be a high performer. This is not about, okay, I better not show my team this because they're going to leave. This is about if you want your people to stay and take you and your organization where you want to go, you are going to make it possible for them to climb that S-curve to disrupt themselves, to learn, leap, and repeat. So this this isn't um, people are going to go, this is the mechanism by which you become the high growth organization that you want to become. Yeah. I think one of the best things leaders can do is meet people where they are on yep. that S curve, right? Not where you, you may be, but where they are right? Uh, and help them learn and grow. Agreed. Uh, Whitney, great spending time with you today. Uh, this has been fantastic. You've Thank added you. a lot of value to our listeners. Um, you have a couple books. You want to say a few things about the books and how people can get in contact with you? Yeah. So I think the easiest way to get in contact is, is WhitneyJohnson.com. And we have a podcast as well called Disrupt Yourself. Oh, so good for you. you can listen to that. And we, um, there are a couple of episodes I would actually refer people to in particular. Number 100 is on taking the right kinds of risks. And number 120 is on playing to your strengths. So there's solo episodes that just deep dive into these ideas. Um, And then I've got two, actually, well, three books, but the two books that are relevant to this conversation, which you can also find on the website, are Disrupt Yourself and Building Mm Navy. Great, great. Whitney, I really appreciate you taking time. What our audience doesn't know is you're uh, traveling right now, so you took some time out of your travel and and spent some time (laughs) with us, and I really appreciate it. So. Oh, thank you, Art. It's been a pleasure. Gang, I don't know about you, but I've got a probably about six or page, six or seven pages worth of notes. And uh, Whitney has really met me where I am and I've got some things to think about and um, disrupt my mindset in some areas so I can 
I can continue to grow. So Whitney, thank you for having an impact on me. And I know you're going to have an impact on a lot of listeners. So thank you again. Thank you. All right. Uh, everybody, uh, thank you for investing your time with us, uh, listening to this. Um, just continue to look for our podcast. We love uh, doing them, and we certainly love meeting people like Whitney. Uh, so thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.